in the squadron. They called him Bullets, but we call him Greg Kelly. Greg Kelly is on the air on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Hey, big step in the right direction. The FBI understands that China poses a risk, a genuine threat to America. The Chinese Communist Party, oh boy, do they want to hurt us. They want to hurt us bad. I just heard that from Christopher Wray. He's the director of the FBI, which is very refreshing because our federal government has been telling us for years that the big thing we need to worry about is white supremacy. Yes, oh, those white supremacists, they they pose an existential threat, whatever the hell that is, to America. All right. Now, uh, Christopher Ray, you just got to be sure that you make sure the uh, fake news understands that. You got to make sure uh, Mayorkas, the Homeland Security guy, knows that. And most of all, Joe Biden, because he's still pushing this uh, <laughs> this white supremacy stuff. Uh, he's very easy on China. He's also very weird with Ukraine and Russia because, well, he's got um, conflicts. He's got all kinds of entanglements. And uh, he just can't he just can't represent us. I think he not only does he know it, uh, the Russians know it. The Chinese know it. This guy is compromised big time. And uh, that's a problem for all of us. Hey, Joel Osteen, the amazing uh, preacher from Texas, will be here. He's going to be in Yankee Stadium this weekend. And he's coming right here to the studio with his wife, Victoria. You guys like him. You ever catch his uh, his show on Sunday morning? It's uh, it's amazing. And his books, he is a, um, a believer, obviously, and he has brought the Word of God to so many. And he has, you know, a special style that people love. And uh, I love it. I'm one of them. And I've been to, I've, obviously, like everybody else, I've seen him on TV. I've listened to the podcasts. And... Uh, I've actually gone. I've seen him at Yankee Stadium. I've seen him in person at NJ Pack to those events. And if you are interested in going, I suggest act on that impulse. It's uh, it's very cool. I'm going to go on Saturday. I think I think I can I can pull it off. Hey, uh, the federal government just announced they are arresting I think four cops who were involved in that Brianna Taylor situation. Do you remember that in Louisville from? Um, I think like two or three years ago, Brianna Taylor, uh, by all accounts, a nice woman who unfortunately had a drug dealer for a boyfriend. And um, the cops went there, but may have been a mistaken address. They may have gone to the wrong place, but uh, the boyfriend grabbed a gun and um, shots were exchanged and she died. And that's really, really tragic. But I heard... From Daniel Cameron, very sharp guy. He's the attorney general for the state of Kentucky. Did you see it? He laid it all out. They investigated this thing for a year, and it was about a year ago he came forward and said, we're not charging these officers because of A, B, C, D, and E. And it made total sense to me. Uh, but the federal government, this is what they do. They get involved, and they politicize it, and they just had the FBI arrest those cops. I wonder if that's going to come up at this hearing. Christopher Ray. Big mistake Trump make, made was picking Christopher Ray to run the FBI. You know who he could have picked, should have picked? Ray Kelly. <laughs> he could have. He could have avoided a lot of trouble if he chosen my father, if he had chosen my father for the FBI job. You know, my dad actually turned down the FBI position once. Bill Clinton called, hey, Ray, Ray, you think you'd be interested in being my FBI director? Called him in 1993. And uh, he thought about it, but at the time he was police commissioner, which... 
in his opinion and the opinion of a lot of people in law enforcement, that is the best job in law enforcement. Commissioner of the New York City Police Department. It is a great job. Uh, you got a hell of a lot of autonomy. It's New York. It's uh, it's a big job, a lot of pressure. It's actually bigger than the FBI. Did you know that? A lot of people think that the FBI is like the America's super police force. Not really. Um, there are more Arabic speakers in the NYPD than there are at the CIA. Think about that. So he stayed with the NYPD. He turned down that job offer, and then he took some other jobs in federal government under Secretary of the Treasury, Customs Commissioner, and then he became commissioner, police commissioner again for 12 years. Guess who called in 20, when was that? 2017. It was like the day after he fired Comey. Donald Trump gave him a call. Hey, Ray, what do you think? You know, I got this FBI. You know, Comey was a loser. We got rid of him so fast. Can you believe that? We got rid of that loser. And Ray, I know you're a great guy. And I'm not making fun. This is kind of how the conversation went. And it's all, he's he's right. Donald Trump was right about Comey, a total total loser. Hey, one thing that a lot of folks overlooked. Oh, uh, yeah, my dad did not become the FBI director. You know, it's the swamp and everybody has an opinion. So they went with a swamp guy, Christopher Ray. never led a complex organization like the FBI. You don't want, you can't be a total, I think it was a mistake. I just think it was a mistake for Trump. There's one of the few, hey, nobody's perfect. And this is one of the mistakes he made. We can make mistakes, and Christopher Ray was a was a big one. Shouldn't have gone with him. Now Comey had to go, and this is one of the reasons why. I think this is the reason why Comey got fired. All right. Now, first of all, do you remember? Well, let me just put. This is the moment. Everybody says, "Well, it was because of Russia." Even Trump, you hear him say that it was Russia. He said that. You know, he can be a little all over the place, but this is the moment that I think sealed Comey's fate. It's 2017. Trump is president. He's testifying on Capitol Hill, and uh, they're talking about laptops. Laptops. Do you remember Hillary Clinton had a laptop that was unearthed in uh, right around Halloween in 2016? Anthony Weiner, who's now a friend of WABC, that's great. But you know, there was a laptop. There were all kinds of emails and information uh, from Hillary and Huma. It was a big mess, and the FBI came forward and said. We've got a laptop. And uh, that may, Hillary still believes that that is the reason why she lost. Well, listen to what Jim Comey said about that a few months later. Cut 46. Look, this was terrible. It makes me mildly nauseous to think that we might have had some impact on the election. That's it. Mildly nauseous. Now, what Trump took that to mean, and I don't think it's an unfair interpretation, that they were sick in the stomach that Trump won. That's what they're that's what he's upset about, that we had something to do with electing Trump. That makes me sick. That makes me nauseous. That was James Comey. He was fired about two days later. So uh, consider that. And just as a reminder, a laptop emerged very late in the 2016 campaign. And it was a huge story. Cut 45. Shockwaves through Hillary Clinton's campaign following a surprise letter Friday from FBI Director James Comey. Comey notifying members of Congress that the Bureau discovered emails that appear to be pertinent to the now-closed Clinton server investigation. Those emails found on a laptop belonging to Anthony Weiner, the husband of Clinton's longtime aide Huma Abedin. Wow, what the hell? I remember that. It sounded like it sounded too crazy to be true. 
So 2016, a laptop comes out. Arguably, it helps Donald Trump win the election. I think he would have won anyway. There are a lot of factors as to why Hillary lost and Donald Trump won. So a, But some people believe that that allegation, that information, the laptop, whatever, sunk Hillary in 2016. Four years later, another laptop emerges. What is it with these Democrats and laptops, huh? The Hunter Biden laptop. And what did they do? Well, they they smothered the story. They stifled it, and they got everybody. Uh, well, they they banned the internet from talking about it. You know that, right? Kicked the New York Post off of Twitter. They had they did everything they could to um, to cancel that story, even though it was true. And the swamp rallied around Biden. This is an amazing moment. Now, Biden is actually. He's speaking the truth when he talks about all the people who have rallied to his defense. Now, they're all lying, by the way, but he is right about this. They all said that. They all gave him cover. This is a moment from the debate. Uh, Trump is right. This is all a fraud, but it's the swamp perpetrating a fraud. Cut 44. There are 50 former national intelligence folks who said that what this he's accusing me of is a Russian plan. They have said that this is has all the four, five former heads of the CIA, both parties say what he's saying is a bunch of garbage. Nobody believes it except the, his and his good friend Rudy Gianni. You mean the laptop is now another Russia, Russia, Russia hoax? And that's exactly it. what. Is this that's where exactly you're going? This is going. where he's going. The laptop right. is Russia, yes. Russia, Russia. I want to stay on the issue of race. He- Media helped right along. Let's stop talking about the laptop. Let's move it on to race. And uh, Trump, I mean, sorry, Biden was, yeah, 50 former national intelligence folks did sign a bogus letter indicating, pretending that the laptop may have been Russian disinformation, although they did say in the fine print, we have no information that this is Russian disinformation. But they, they, they smoke and mirrors, they try to make it appear that way. 50 former national security folks, and yes, five CIA heads, former CIA heads, both parties, a bunch of swamp people. The swamp, they did everything they could to help Biden, including lying, engaging in deception themselves. They had no business weighing in on this laptop, and the laptop was and is legitimate, and the FBI continues to sit on it. Isn't that amazing? The FBI is finished in my book. The FBI, they need to be totally rebranded. I mean, because it's the Federal Bureau of Incompetence. It's the Federal Bureaucrats Incorporated. It's it's not to be trusted. After Peter Strzok and Lisa Page and, yes, Comey, they destroyed the Bureau. If a couple of FBI agents dropped by your office, what would you think? And they wanted to talk to you. I'd think, like, okay, what's their angle? What political mission are they here for? What, what, what? I'll tell you one thing. I wouldn't talk to him. No freaking way. Uh-uh. I take their identification. I take a picture of it and I'd say goodbye. I, I just, I just, I mean, if it were an immediate crisis, the cops would come talk to the cops, but the FBI, I don't know. And I'm sorry. It really kind of pains me to say that. I don't trust them. Who would after all of this? So we got to call them something else. They got to be rebranded, maybe just broken up. And here the FBI being used political muscle for the Biden administration, arresting these uh, cops in the 
Brianna Taylor case? Hey, stay in your lane, okay? Look at bank fraud, okay? Uh, Cybersecurity, that stuff. Don't pretend you're cops. You guys don't know what you're doing. You've done enough damage. Ray, Comey, Strzok, all of you people. My goodness gracious. McCabe. McCabe is out there on television, on CNN. Dirty cops. Dirty cops. There are some good FBI guys, and I know, by the way, they agree with me. This bureau has been... All right. Uh, They're not taking it live right now. They were a moment ago. When something big happens, let me know. Hey, Carrie Lake, did she win this thing yet or what? What's going on in Maricopa County, Arizona? Man, oh, man, I fear they're playing all kinds of games. You know, it's amazing. I point out, (laughs) and others point out, concerns about election fairness. And what do they say? You're undermining democracy. How dare you? No, we're not undermining democracy. We're defending democracy. We are defending it. Carrie Lake, they will do. I think she's going to win. I hope she's going to win. There's no way. I'm sorry. The opponent, her opponent, nice lady, total stick in the mud. All right. There's no way. There's no way this person gets more votes than Carrie Lake. I did this whole thing on the show last night. Did you see it? Newsmax and um, this absurdity with the ballot, ballot drop boxes. You know, when we mail a letter, it's a steel box. Nobody knows what the hell you're mailing, nor should they. It's private between you and the recipient. Not even the mailman knows exactly what you're mailing, right? Except when it comes to <laughs> votes. Drop your vote here in this unattended plastic box just sitting on the corner. What did Bill Barr say when it comes to this stuff? Uh, cut 38, Bill Barr. You were right then and then you lost it. Cut 38. So far, we haven't seen widespread fraud but so far we haven't tried it well and the point is that a lot of us uh, there are several states that only have mail-in voting including a republican well this is playing with fire this is playing with fire we're a very closely divided country here and if people have to have confidence in the results of the election and the legitimacy of the government and people trying to change the rules to this to this methodology which as a matter of logic is very open to fraud and coercion is reckless and dangerous, and the people are playing with fire. Uh, he was right. As a matter of logic, it's open to fraud. And there are some brave people out there who are pointing this out. Most, however, are too scared. Be right back. Greg Kelly, Greg Kelly. on the Red Apple Podcast Network. I gave that show the offer another chance and uh, got sucked into another two episodes last night. Didn't knock it off until midnight. It is pretty good. I don't need it. I'm not doing this again. I have to finish this show. I have uh, two episodes left, I think. Some of the stuff is pretty cool. Uh, What was that guy's name? Bonanno from the Italian-American Commission. He was shot and killed in 1971. Oh, I'm sorry. He was shot, but he didn't die until several years later. They recreate that. It happened in Columbus Circle. Shocking uh, shooting of a guy right there in public at a big celebration. Got all those people. You think nothing could go wrong, right? I mean, there's all this protection. It's kind of in a weird way, kind of like when Kennedy got shot. You know, everybody's around. How can anything bad happen? But it happened right in front of 5,000 people. 
Uh, it's all about Al Ruddy, the producer of The Godfather, and uh, all the uh, adventures and obstacles he had overcome to get that movie made. The guy who plays uh, Robert Evans, who is the legendary head of Paramount, the very cool dude. I think uh, whoever he is, he's good. He's British, and uh, he, he does the American accent. Why is it that the British ac- actors can all do American accents? But I don't think too many American actors portray English people. Does that ever happen? Uh, why, why Why? is that? I was told, I asked this question once before, one of the reasons why they're so good at it, they have a lot more content that they watched as kids. You know, American shows are so big in the UK, so they listen, they listen, they listen, and they know uh, how we speak much better than we know how they speak. And I got to admit, I've only seen, I mean, how many British TV shows did I grow up with watching? I saw Doctor Who, which I really could not get into. I never understood it. And what else did I like? Oh, Faulty Towers. Faulty Towers. But there are like six episodes of that show. And that's it. That's it. Um, hey, I'm very happy that Rusty Bowers, is that his name? Rusty Bowers, the Speaker of the uh, Arizona House of Representatives, lost. Because this guy, oh, this guy's a superhero. Just, just, Just ask Rusty himself. Cut 36. You are asking me to do something that is counter to my oath when I swore to the Constitution to uphold it. As far as I was concerned, for someone to ask me in the, I would call it a paucity, there was no, no evidence being presented of any strength. I may, in the eyes of men, not hold correct opinions or act according to their vision or convictions, but I do not take this current situation in a light manner a fearful manner, or a vengeful manner. I do not want to be a winner by cheating. I will not play with laws I swore allegiance to. Oh, wow. Huh? So so devout, so moving, uh, so self-righteous. That was my takeaway. And quite frankly, ignorant. These guys put blinders on. They hated Trump. They wanted him gone. You know, some of that I could see, oh, wow, that sounds so... No, it doesn't, actually. He says, play with laws. Well, does that mean, I don't know, does he ever file a lawsuit? Does he ever... <laughs> Two people can have disagreements about what the law says. You know that, right? This guy participated in a Soviet-style show trial. The star witness. You know what's seductive? Being on primetime TV, being the center of attention for three hours, coast to coast, people asking him questions... When is that ever going to happen again? When is the fake news going to ever say something like this about him or anybody else, any other speaker of some state house? Cut 35. This whole hearing was really impactful and, and incredibly, incredibly well done. And, you know, Rusty was this incredible witness. Rusty Bowers was one of those very brave people who spoke to the committee. Bowers' testimony was heartfelt and somber as he spoke about his sense of duty and his love of the democratic system. Uh, You know, we all love the democratic system, but sometimes you have a good big argument about it, right? We have a Supreme Court. We have differences of opinion, and sometimes that has to be adjudicated. Rusty wanted none of that. He already made up his mind, and then he so self-righteously just claimed that it was his way or the highway. I got to talk to Rudy Giuliani about this guy. You know, they villainized certain people. They villainized Rudy. (laughs) So, you know, he has a lawsuit. He should sue all of these guys. He's going to be restored. But what they've tried to do to that great man, 
that somehow Rusty Bowers is a hero and Rudy Giuliani is a villain. Give me a break. Just the fact that, you know what? Also, uh, Attorney General Barr was right. These flimsy boxes. You know, there's a crime. It's called mail fraud. And we've got a pretty darn secure mail system, right? I mean, we, we, but there is mail fraud every single day. Right now, somebody in the country is, is committing mail fraud. What is any criminal enterprise? If you send it through the mail, you're guilty of mail fraud. And there's a may not sound like much, but it is. You know who wasn't impressed with mail fraud at first? Tom Cruise in the firm. His firm, his law firm, is doing all kinds of dirty, shady deals. I mean, they're killing people. They're doing all kinds of stuff. And then he realizes, wait a second, I could get them on mail fraud. It's an amazing moment from the movie. All right, give me a call. Let me know what you think. Uh, What else? Oh, and Joel Osteen with his wife, Victoria, will be right here inside the studio. We don't do that very often. It's a big treat. And he's at Yankee Stadium this weekend. Tickets are available. Uh, I'll be right back. Greg Kelly on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Exclusive, uh, according to Fox News, Taiwan, China thinking about invading Taiwan sometime in 2024. Uh, could be sooner than that. <laughs> Just, uh, this is Robert O'Brien. Oh, yeah, sharp guy, former Trump national security advisor, Robert O'Brien. Uh, one of the bright lights of the uh, Trump administration. I think, you know, a lot of these guys... They leaked like crazy on uh, Trump. But one of the good things about O'Brien, I don't believe he came from the swamp. The last uh, job he had, he was a law partner in Los Angeles, very far away from the swamp. Natalie is calling 800. What's the number again? 972 Wait. 800-848-9222. 800-848-9222. Natalie, hello in Suffolk County. Where in Suffolk are you? Hi, Greg. I live in Setauket, and um, I am calling because I am really glad that you brought up the subject of being commissioner. I've always wanted to understand better. I mean, it seems like a great job, okay? So, But how does it work? It's your commissioner. You say it's autonomous. But I would think the commissioner, like, say, for instance, in this day and time, would be standing up and saying, no, you're not throwing water and, and fluids over my offices. You're, you are not going to resist arrest. It's going to be arrestable. But if these things are not happening. So is, she, is the commissioner caught between that and what the mayor is saying you have to do? How does that work? Well, the commissioner, when my dad was commissioner, certainly, there was a great deal of autonomy. Uh, autonomy when he was there. Number one, nobody knew the department like he did. Uh, he was, uh, you know, he just, and he was made for the job. He knew how to do it. He had incredible administrative and uh, executive skills and political instincts. You got to have those too, and political antennae. So there's nobody like him. Uh, other people, not so much. You know what I mean? I'm just, it is what it is. Uh, you get a Ray Kelly once every uh, 300 years, probably. I don't know. So, um, you know, I think one of the reasons why, uh, what's his name, uh, Adams chose this very nice lady from Nassau County be, to be the commissioner, she would not outshine him. She would not necessarily know more in his eyes. I think she does know a lot more, but he thinks he's a big cop, as you know. Oh, I was a captain on the, you know, all this stuff. Um, but he's a pretty mediocre police officer. And we, we see all the time there are bad cops, and he was one of them, I believe. 
So he picks somebody. He wants to be the police commissioner. He wants to run around like he's in charge. Remember, he wants to, how did he put it? He wants to kick Cracker's ass. So it varies from mayor to mayor and certainly from commissioner to commissioner. And Bratton, by the way, you know, for all the, you know, all the glowing profiles in uh, the New Yorker, he didn't, that's all he cared about. That's what drove, that's what motivated him. Uh, My dad once said, and I hope he doesn't mind me repeating this, you either run the police department or the police department runs you. And that's kind of the way it was for, well, that's the way it is, essentially. Natalie, uh, anything else? No, that was a big thing that I'm, I'm asking, that because I don't understand why these things are being allowed to happen to police officers. Like this, that, that officer last week who was pretty much in a chokehold, I would think that part of the commissioner's job is to really keep, you know, keep that from happening. Um, but I think I was under the impression that he's kind of beholden to what the mayor's agenda is. Yeah, sure. I mean, you are. I mean, you, everybody has a boss, and my dad had a boss, and Mike Bloomberg. But uh, with the, um, you know, look, bad things are going to happen to cops. I hate to say it. It, it will always happen, as has happened, always will happen. But now it's happening with, like, the public's approval and with the encouragement of the media and the Democratic uh, establishment. Now they can say, no, 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 we support cops. Oh, yeah? Review the review the data, review the rhetoric over the past two years and the complete overreaction to George Floyd. They delegitimize police. Now, you know, I, I, I'm sure the commissioner said something, you know, but enough with the words. OK, enough with the words. This is an organizational challenge. This is a leadership challenge, but it's also you got to get down in the weeds. You know, you got to make sure your undercover cops are truly undercover. One of the first things Adams did was put the undercover unit Plain clothes in uniform. They all have big T-shirts now that say NYPD. Everybody can see them coming. Just crazy stuff. And uh, I appreciate it, uh, Natalie. Let's go to, uh, we got, who's this, Michael? Michael's on the line, line two. What's up? Uh, Mike from St. James. If the mayor says he took 2,600 guns off the street, how could he do that if he doesn't believe in stop and frisk? By the way, it's a very small number of guns. At one point, he said there were 33 guns, 33 guns. Now, look, he will say that he believes in stop and frisk. Stop and frisk has been so maligned. It is a totally constitutional tool, reasonable suspicion under, I think it's Ohio versus Terry, a police officer. They've been doing this since police were invented, right? They see something suspicious. They're allowed to ask questions. And that's still the case. And even Adams will say that. But they've made it so hard. They have to ask permission, essentially, to frisk somebody. Then they have to document it. Then they have to fill out paperwork. And then you got people all over the place with their telephones recording it, trying to get the cops in trouble. You saw what happened uptown. Uh, you know, so, yes, it's technically still something they can do, use and do. But practically speaking, it's off the table. And, um, you know, 3,600 guns, 2,600 guns. There are probably 50 million guns in New York, all right? This is, not a, this is not a problem about gun control. It's just not. It's not. And then you can't, you can't seize all the weapons in New York. You, can't, you, can, you can have them keep them at home if they had a genuine, uh, you know, well, if there was a robust Law enforcement presence, and there isn't for a lot of different reasons. All right, what else is going on? I got to Hey, let's take one more. Do we have Anonymous? Anonymous is on the line. 
Anonymous. Okay, good. Anonymous just hooked, hung up on us. That's probably for the best. Uh, oh, I do want to play this. Eric Greitens is the, the former governor of Missouri. He had to resign in 2018 because he was taping up his girlfriends against their will and taking pictures of them. That's not a nice guy. Word got out. He had to resign. And then he thought two years later, hey, I'm going to run for the United States Senate. That's enough time has passed. Nobody remembers that I was taping up girlfriends and uh, threatening them to uh, release pictures of our little escapades. Well, Eric, uh, you need help. Not only for that, but for this, this crazy commercial he put out. Listen to how he whispers at one point. I know he was a SEAL. Hey, every Navy SEAL, stop talking about being in the SEALs, all right? Tell me you were in the Navy. I don't want to hear about the SEALs anymore. Uh, Cut 43. Eric Greitens, Navy SEAL. And today, we're going rhino hunting. The rhino feeds on corruption and is marked by the stripes of cowardice. Join the MAGA crew, get a rhino hunting permit. There's no bagging limit, no tagging limit, and it doesn't expire until we save our country. Total freak. Who the hell talks like that? I don't like rhinos, but they shouldn't be killed, okay? So uh, he's gone, and uh, hey, maybe he can come back someday, 10 years. I'm sorry, you don't resign from the governorship and then run for Senate three years later. This is a guy, I, I understand he's got some interesting credentials. Navy SEAL, Rhodes Scholar, ooh. Um, their resume, you know, they, they think they're going to be president. I will be president. I am destined to be president. I must be president. I think he wants it just a little bit too much. Uh, let's see here. Um, oh, just remember this. Again, back to, uh, you know, what's happening to police on the street. Democrats, I believe, are responsible for saying crap like this again and again for years now. It started with this. Cut 50. We've seen with horrifying clarity the cost of systemic racism. We have a system that is built on systemic racism, and we have to dismantle that system piece by piece. Racism is systemic. It is structural. It is pervasive. Racism in America is endemic. It is foundational. America has a long history of systemic racism. The battle to achieve racial justice and root out systemic racism in this country. All right. So they badmouth America all the time. And then they tell them to go out and fight. Cut 51. I, I, I just don't even know why there aren't uprisings all over the country. Maybe there will be. There needs to be unrest in the streets for as long as there is unrest in our lives. You've got to be ready to throw a punch. You have to be ready to throw a punch. Donald Trump, I think you need to go back and, and punch him in the face. That I thought he should have punched him in the face. I feel like punching him. I'd like to take him behind the gym if I were in high school. If we were in high school, I'd take him behind the gym and beat the hell out of him. No, I wish we were in high school, I could take him behind the gym. I will go and take Trump out tonight. Take them out now. When was the last time an actor assassinated a president? They're still going to have to go out and put a bullet in Donald Trump. Show me where it says that protests are supposed to be polite and peaceful. I have thought an awful lot about blowing up the White House. Please. Get up in the face of some Congress people. People will do what they do. I want to tell you, Gorsuch, I want to tell you, Kavanaugh, 
You have released the whirlwind, and you will pay the price. We're gonna go in there, we're gonna... This is just a warning to you Trumpers. Be careful. Walk lightly. And for those of you who are soldiers, make them pay. Man, I feel like going out and rioting after that. I am all fired up. Man, we got to take back this country from all those white supremacists, right? We got to get in their faces. I want to punch somebody. What did Charles Barron say? I'm going to go up to the first white person I see and just slap him. Charles Barron, crazy radical uh, councilman from Brooklyn, total racist. He said that. He's, <laughs> he announced in Washington, D.C. in front of a million people, I just want to go up to the first white person I see and slap him. And um, and that's kind of what's going on right now, actually. A lot of people have been fired up. And you know who's on the getting the real brunt of it? The cops still. You can see how they planted the seeds, and now we've got all kinds of weeds growing all over the place. This cancer that they continue to feed, these lies. Cut 53. Racism is extremely pervasive in America's police departments, and people need to acknowledge that. We have to admit that this criminal justice system is racist and go from there. It's time to, to address systemic racism in this country, racism, racism in policing. Black people have been routinely and continually subject to inequity and injustice and systemic racism in the policing system of this country. All right, so we've all heard that. You turn on the news, you hear this kind of stuff. This is the stuff that people say. This is what good people are saying, right? This is what uh, this is what you're supposed to think. This is what you're supposed to repeat. And I believe that I can tie. It's very logical that you say that stuff over and over and over again, that the things that you see every single day, policing white people, that somehow that's the problem. And I do believe that there is a tie to the violence we've seen, the uptick in crime, to this kind of poisonous rhetoric. Now, when Trump speaks about the election, do you think it actually leads to violence? Did it lead to January 6th? I don't think so. And let's let's evaluate, okay? Uh, Here he is talking about, well, grave problems with the election. Cut 52, please. As far as the ballots are concerned, it's a disaster. A solicited ballot, okay, solicited is okay. You're soliciting. You're asking. They send it back. You send it back. I did that. If you have an unsolicited, they're sending millions of ballots all over the country. There's fraud. They found them in creeks. They found some with the name Trump. Just happened to have the name Trump just the other day in a waste paper basket. They're being sent all over the place. They sent two in a Democrat area. They sent out a thousand ballots. Everybody got two ballots. This is going to be a fraud like you've never seen. If you count the legal votes, I easily win. If you count the illegal votes, they can try to steal the election from us. If you count the votes that came in late, we're looking at them very strongly. But a lot of votes came in late. This is a case where they're trying to steal an election. They're trying to rig an election. And we can't let that happen. This election was a fraud. <laughs> All right. I can hear that. And I can believe it. I can agree with him. I don't feel like rioting. I don't feel like breaking anything. And oh, by the way, he's not asking anybody to do that. But you heard earlier, everybody from Cory Booker to Maxine Waters to Nancy Pelosi 
to Chuck Schumer saying get violent. Get violent against racist cops in our systemically racist country. That, well, we could have commissions that talked about that, right? I think the connection between their rhetoric and what happened. And oh, by the way, though, I still believe you can say whatever you want. I don't, I mean, I'm not going to, I'm not saying that they should not. They want to say that ugly stuff. They can. They can. It's America. Hey, just like Alex Jones can say whatever the hell he wants. You see this? Are you guys following this situation? He's being sued by, I guess, a group of the Sandy Hook parents. Now, what happened to them and what happened up there? I don't believe the conspiracy theories. I've heard them. No, this is a horrible massacre. Adam Lanza, I believe the uh, person's name was. I, I That's the killer. That's what happened. I don't believe the government had a role in that. I don't believe the government had a role in 9-11. But, you know, if you don't believe that and you want to say that this is still America, you can say whatever the hell you want. Um, I don't know. I don't like this lawsuit against him. I don't like that he's in trouble. And it looks like they just got him in a perjury trap. Hey, coming up in a little bit, Joel Osteen will be here. I'll be right back. Greg Kelly on the Red Apple Podcast Network. They do not want this guy to be successful producing The Godfather. We know he's going to make the movie. uh, But, man, every episode there's something else. Uh, The Godfather, it's it's called The Offer. The Offer on Paramount+. Plus. I am reluctantly enjoying it. Uh, A couple of problems in it. Again, I told you it's fake New York. It's not real New York. I don't like that. I also don't like, not that I'm interested in the romance of anything, but... uh, he made a girlfriend in one episode, and then we don't see her anymore. He makes a new girlfriend, and they have this big connection, and then she just she just disappears. So whatever. Uh, hey, Menachem is in Ocean County, New Jersey. Yes. Yes, hi. Um, I just wanted uh, – I was watching some of the footage of the videos that went viral with Sesame Street and the characters over there. It just um, – would, would anybody do that in our society? Is anybody in the world so crazy to be so racist, or was this staged? Because they're sure going to be profiting a lot of racist uh, uh, pop, um, propaganda with this thing. Wait a second. You know, I didn't it. think it was state. I mean, look, it wasn't a big deal. People, it just happens in life. Are we going to say every time a, uh, a person who who's black happens to be offended that it's racist? I, I get offended a million times a day. I think I offend people a million times a day. It's not racist. It's not it's not racist when these guys, you know, I mean, it's not it's not racist. And we don't even know the color of the character inside that costume. You know. What if it's some black guy? This was something that, if you know, it happened. There's a few videos that happened side by side. Uh, And, um, you know, two of them were bad, bad, you know, something that you you don't do. Dude, I'm sorry, man. There might there's a difference between rudeness, you know, a faux pas. I can make you can make anything look like anything with editing. All right. It's just and you and you put them all together. I don't know. I just I, I'm not I'm not. Mo- I know I'm supposed to be outraged. I know there are editors who want me to be outraged. I know that there's social media trying to get us to be outraged. I'm not outraged. I just not. And oh, by the way, Rosita, the chief offender here is the Hispanic character. They brought her in to be, uh, you know, for diversity reasons. So I don't get it. I will say this about Sesame Street. Like I said yesterday, one of the reasons why. Quite frankly, race, I think I'm a bit more evolved than a lot of people is because of Sesame Street. It's true. I'm sorry. But, you know, one of the heroes and this was a this was a new thing. They didn't have it. It was very natural to me. First time I turned on the TV, there was Gordon. 
Gordon singing I Want a Kid. If I had a kid, I want that kid to be just like you. You can look it up. Gordon sang a beautiful song. I was like four years old when I saw him singing that song. So I don't think these uh, Sesame Street characters. Hey, do you think they deserve $25 million for not getting a hug from Cookie Monster? Seriously. No, no way. I'm, all I'm trying to say is that I don't think that anybody, even the claim is that these people are racist. No, it's ridiculous. I don't think anybody would ever do that to be racist. And, and more importantly, in this, today's society, nobody would risk getting their lives turned up to down for mistakenly, you know, everybody's super careful because of these signs get very, very... Nah, I don't know if anybody... Crazy. You know what? I, I'm, I'm, I think everybody should just lighten up in general, all right? I mean, and when you tighten up, when you try to be super careful... Yeah, that's when you tend to make mistakes. That's when you tend to blow it. Like, for instance, Joel Osteen is coming in in a little while. Everybody is freaking out. I mean, everybody is nervous, running around. Oh, my gosh. Joel Osteen's going to come. Joel Osteen. Relax. It's Joel. I love it. But being nervous about his arrival is not going to make anything better. And being nervous around people of color or people who don't look like you or if you're a person of color and a bunch of white guys walk in, being nervous, just people are people. Hey, Menachem, thank you. One more. Dino is in Queens. Dino. Hey, Greg, how are you? How you doing? Fine. I guess I guess you're doing fine. I want to. Make I already point. said that. Don't. Uh, yeah, I said fine. Okay, beautiful. Uh, I want to make. Are you being a wise guy? About... No, not at all. All right. So Come what's on. up? You know me better than that. I just want to make two points. One, the first point is about search and frisk. I'm so with it. Especially a guy like me, you know where I'm going with that. <clears throat> because this way, if you got nothing to worry about, my friend, and you got nothing on you, and they search and frisk you, the quality of life is just better. So at the end of the day, when you got nothing going on, you're off and on your merry way. But when if you have something, most of the guys carry guns. I know that. That's why they're allowing this. That's why the Democrats are allowing this to go on. Second thing, with um, <clears throat> with with Karanoff, when um, Chuck Schumer mentioned that, he put a battery on a crazy guy's back. That's what he did. He ended up putting a battery on someone's back. What are you talking about? Someone's going to When he threatened him, you're going to pay for this. What do you mean uh, he put a battery on somebody's back? What does that mean? That means that he, he in other words, like you, you need to put a battery into a toy to work, right? So what he did is. He psyched somebody up. He put a battery on their back. Hey, you're going to pay for this. Yeah, yeah. No, no. What Schumer said is probably illegal. I'm a big free speech guy, but that that sounded like a threat of a of a sitting U.S. Supreme Court justice. I mean, that really did. I think he broke the law. Uh, there's a much easier case to be made there. <laughs> Donald Trump broke the law. March peacefully and patriotically. I will be watching TV. He didn't do anything wrong. I think Schumer did. And uh, big time. All right, Dino, thank you. Let's do one more. Uh, Gary, yes, what's up? You're in Connecticut. How are you today? I really enjoy your program, both of them, radio and TV. So I was reading the New York Post, and I couldn't get over this poll by the Siena that shows Hochul ahead by 14 points. Now, if if you read further into it, it breaks down like women broke more for Hochul, which is understandable, but not overwhelming, you know, like in the 50s, mid 50s, upper 50s, something like that. Men kind of split half and half. The African, listen to this number, the African American community, 78% supports Hochul. 
I want to know, and I'm wondering, how do we pierce a, a wall like that? How does, how does Number one, 78% among African Americans isn't as high as it should be for Kathy Hochul. I'll, I'll address this when we come back. Give me a moment. Greg Kelly on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Hey, once again, I, uh, I'm actually pretty excited to meet Joel Osteen again. Joel and Victoria will be here in a little bit. Uh, come to Hope, big event at Yankee Stadium. This is going to be on uh, Saturday, August 6th, Saturday. This Saturday at 7 o'clock. Uh, there's like a great big, you know, you've seen Joel Osteen on TV at Lakewood which I think is the old compact center in Houston. He's told that story a million times. It's a great story. Uh, they take the whole, they take the show on the road and the word of God and, and Joel and the music. And it's absolutely beautiful. I've been to one before. Well, I've been to two. I've been to one at Yankee stadium, really moving, really great. Um, there's, I, if you're thinking about it, I suggest doing it, commit, what the heck go for it. Tickets are available online at, uh, well, there are a bunch of places you can go. Uh, Yankees.com, JoelOsteen.com, and Ticketmaster.com. You can also go to uh, Yankees.com slash upcoming events, and uh, it's fun. It's it's fun. It's also moving. It's also spiritually nourishing. You might have a breakthrough. I had a couple of breakthroughs myself, and Joel Osteen really uh, planted the seeds, the very important ones. You know, every day he talks about, getting into a good Bible-based church, and he talks about honoring God. You know, a lot of it, they're just so inspiring stories, And but that part really started to resonate with me. As long as you're honoring God, what does that mean? What does it really mean to honor God? Well, it means to obey Him, right? And uh, some of the stuff that I was doing, you know, well, you know, the world says you can do it. Two and a half men, you know, Charlie Sheen, all that stuff. That's, uh, that's a lot of the... Junk I was up to, and uh, you got to kind of shed all that, and he'll help you because he's got far more important things for you to do. He certainly had more important things for me to do. I didn't realize. I was rotting. I was wasting away, and I was drinking my face off, quite frankly, and um, and things started to change, and I am so grateful to Joel and Victoria for helping me get closer to God, and that is uh, the most important journey and. It's a journey that continues, uh, it's unfolding as we speak, and I am very, very grateful. So if, if you've seen it going around the dial, you know, this guy, he, he's onto something. <laughs> Believe me, he knows what he's doing. He knows the answer. He knows the way, and, um, well, should be fun. And yeah, I will say this. I don't, I mean, I'm, I'm going to have a great time. We're going to have a great conversation. I do get a little bit nervous around people that I know, like, and respect. Uh, if I've never met you in person, you could be the most famous. You know, I'm, I've, I've never met a lot of famous people. Name a famous person. Name anybody. Anybody who's really famous right now. Anybody. What? Uh, Leonardo DiCaprio. Leonardo DiCaprio. I never met him. So I would have no problem interviewing him. Lady Gaga, on the other hand, I've met a couple of times. You know what I mean? I like her. I kind of, you know what I mean? So it would be different. be more awkward. Um. But the good thing is, I've met very few famous people. Leonardo DiCaprio, he's not. And uh, I have no particular desire to meet him. Fine actor, I guess. I'll say this. All the movies that he participates in are are generally uh, pretty good. All right. Uh, Critics slam White House mixed messaging on Pelosi trip. They have been all over the place. 
They really have. They don't know what to do. Number one, they can't control her. They don't have the political clout. Nancy's not listening to anybody. Uh, they don't command the respect. The Biden administration of the Chinese, now the Taiwanese. What are they going to do? No one respects them. No one fears them. Presidential fear. You got to keep your enemies and your friends guessing just a little bit. Hey, it would be really great right now if Trump were still president. Why? Well, let's see. Ukraine would still be free. All right. Number one. And um, not nearly as important, but eh, getting some attention today. Brittany Griner would not be in some Russian jail facing nine and a half years in jail for having a joint in her pocket. Okay? Just wouldn't have happened. Uh, Putin was a guy that (laughs) Trump could get on the phone, and not with 50 other people around. I know everybody said, oh, he's too tight with Putin. He's too tight. It's good to be, what do they say? I don't think it's actually in the uh, Godfather. Keep your enemies, keep your friends close, but your enemies closer. Is that a Godfather line? It sounds so trite now. Actually, it's Godfather Part 2, come to think of it. And when he said it, it was like, go ahead, make my day. It was the biggest, it was it was huge. It was, it was a game changer. Now it does seem kind of like, eh, whatever, heard it a million times, doesn't even mean anything anymore. Um, but there is something to that. And Biden, who, who respects him? Who fears him? No one. 50 years in the United States Senate, did America improve? Did the world improve? No. Joe Biden's real estate portfolio improved. <laughs> his clout, his standing, his prestige, the no-show jobs that he got for his friends and family? Yeah, no, that wouldn't have happened. But other than that, who benefited? Nobody. And what skill does he bring to the table? Boy, oh boy, lately he's just yelling and screaming all the time. Yelling and screaming. This is no way to run a country, okay? Uh, Hey, I am, uh, have they declared Carrie Lake yet the winner? They ought to. They're screwing around with Maricopa County. One of the reasons why I like her a lot is she agrees with me about Carrie Lake. I'm sorry, about Donald Trump's, uh, about the potential this guy has. Uh, Listen to this for a moment. Cut 24. Is this the greatest president we've ever known? Arizona loves you. And I predict at the end of 2028, when you leave office, second term, the whole country is going to love you. They're going to figure it out. They're going to figure it out. They are. I had this feeling when he declared in 2015 that he could be one of those presidents like Reagan, who won 49 states. Now, I know it hasn't happened yet, but I think there's that potential. Anything can happen. Anything. Hey, good for Ron DeSantis. Throwing out that bum, woke district attorney in Florida. There was some guy, some woke guy by the name of Andrew Warren, uh, state attorney for Tampa, pretty big city and county. um, And DeSantis just removed him from office. And he has the power to do that as governor. If you have somebody who is not upholding the law under the state constitution of Florida, and all these states have their own constitutions, he could get rid of the a state attorney, and he did today. A great, big, bold, dramatic move, which should be happening all over the place. Kathy Hochul, get rid of Alvin Bragg. You know what? Actually, <laughs> uh, maybe, uh, look, it's too late. So if she does it now, she looks like a copycat. 
If she does it now, I think it's an acknowledgement that it should have been done a long time ago. So I would love it if she got rid of Alan Bragg. I also would love it if Lee Zeldin gets in there and uh, does it for you. I want Lee Zeldin to win. I really do. Kathy Hochul is such an airhead, has no interest in actual governing. She just wants to be liked by the woke. She wants to do favors for rich people and uh, go to the beauty parlor. That's it. And New York is too big, too important to entrust it to a, what the hell was she again? A county clerk from uh, Nowheresville, New York. Who cares? You got to remember this about Cuomo. Why did he pick her to be lieutenant governor? Because she was the best and the brightest? No, because she was mediocre and invisible. That's why. You think Andrew does not like sharing the spotlight? That I can tell you. He's got that in common with most politicians, by the way. There's a reason why they pick uh, weak vice presidents. You know, they don't want to be, they don't want any problems. They don't want an FDR Garner problem. Garner, Vice President Garner, uh, you know, he was such a thorn in the side of FDR that he ran against him for president. It happens. You know, the fake news is always, oh my gosh, how could Donald Trump have an argument with Mike Pence? How could he not check up on Mike Pence's well-being? Mike Pence is a grown man. He was surrounded by 50 armed Secret Service agents. He was fine. He was fine. Oh, January 6th, January 6th. Hey, it's a real privilege, by the way, to be able to talk about uh, Ashley Babbitt every day on my show. Ashley Babbitt was shot and killed by Lieutenant Mike Bird on Capitol Hill, even though she posed no threat whatsoever. And the fake news for them to just pretend that's not an issue. You know why? Has a lot to do with race. The cop was black. The victim is white. And that's just not a narrative they're interested in. They feel uncomfortable talking about that. Why? Why? Hey, did you see on my show also last night, I brought in, um, I showed some viral videos of drag queens doing their thing. You know, drag queens doing their thing. What do they want to do most now lately? Some of them. They want to go into the schools and read to kids. Well, that's pretty weird. All right. I mean, I just, I, don't you have anything better to do? Uh, teachers can do that. But then I really started to look at what they do, their performance, Right. You know, they're dancing and stuff like that, and they, they go to, uh, they take over a strip club, and, you know, they walk down the aisle, or, you know, they're just a theater, and they're walking around, and they dance and sashay. What I noticed is they have no talent, and everybody's yelling and screaming and clapping their hands and going nuts and throwing dollar bills their way. And I'm like, wait a second, this person looks like they're, I mean, anybody could do that. What's the point? No talent. No talent drag queen. Show me a drag queen who knows how to, I don't know, ice skate or juggle or play an instrument or tell a few good jokes. But all they do, and generally speaking, I don't want to be mean, but, you know, they're kind of overweight, a lot of the drag queens. Notice that? They almost are always overweight. Never meet any skinny drag queens. What's up with that? And then they come in and then they just walk around and they do this with their arm and their hand and like, look at me. Aren't I fabulous? I don't think you're that fabulous. Hey, Christine. Christine knows about, uh, you're familiar with this world. Christine is uh, one of our favorite callers. She happens to be conservative. She happens to be transgender from up there in uh, Middletown, Connecticut. Hello, Christine. You know what I mean about these talentless drag queens? Yes. I I could tell you that they'll look fatter than they appear because they wear so much padding to create the the narrow waist and the the thicker thighs. Oh. A lot of that. Yeah. So that's an artificial look. They don't have an 
trust me, they don't have an hourglass figure in, in their normal life because many of them happen to just be gay males and they do this for their living or make money off of. Or they just enjoy it. I mean, and the dance, yeah, the yeah. dance routine, I mean, it's really studying it. I mean, I was just really why all this person did was they had that big, what do you call those boa things? Those, uh, those flower, you know, that, I don't know. It's like a big, what do you call that? Yeah, the, it's a boa. It's a boa, right? It's a big furry. Yeah. It's like picture a long snake, except it's not a snake, but it's That's, flexible and it's got fur on it, feathers. Exactly. And they and they wave yeah. it around, but they don't dance in any kind of. I've seen America's Got Talent. I know what good dancing is. This is not good <laughs> dancing. Well, well, sir, something happened with like from drag from the last twenty years. I could find they went from more or less trying to emulate the the performance of the song they perform now. All of a sudden, they if this isn't. They come out with this over-the-top type look in your face, and a lot of drag queens now they get more political in how they perform too. Interesting. You're so right. By the way, I didn't know that about the padding. Hey, you know, drag queens. I'm just do your thing, whatever. Show me a bit more well, talent. You know who's got a lot of talent, by the way, and I'm personally a fan of is RuPaul. RuPaul has one of the greatest dance albums of all time, Supermodel of the World. Every song on that album is a great song. It came out in 1995, and it was a bootleg, actually, years before that. Uh, She's got real talent. RuPaul's got real talent. These others don't. And when you brought up the grooming part, you know, that comes from the White House, too. Oh, yeah. Jeez. Jeez. With Biden? Yeah. I'm going to, you know what? In fact, I'm going to go further than that. I'm going to call out, you know, President Biden, Vice President Harris, and Rachel Levine for encouraging and for their affirmation of these minor age kids to get medical treatment and surgery. That's child abuse. So they're child abusers. And that's coming right from the top in Washington, D.C., sir. You know, you're. thank you, Christine, for reminding me about this. This is something that... You know, I think they want they want us to get used to it because they're pushing this stuff so much. Somebody brought it up to me this morning. I'm like, eh, we did that yesterday. You know what? No. <laughs> they can't. They're normalizing it. That's what they're doing. They're normalizing this crazy stuff. Christine, I thank you so much. Rachel Levine, Kamala Harris, Joe Biden, who we know, by the way, has an unhealthy interest in children. Sorry. He does. You've seen it. I've seen it. Something's going on there. All right, I'm on it. Uh, Christine, thank you. I got to get ready. We're getting ready for Joel. He's getting close. Be right back with Joel Osteen. Greg Kelly on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Hey, Pennsylvania, uh, our favorite Dr. Roz is running for the United States Senate as a Republican against the Democrat, John Fetterman, who is the uh, lieutenant governor, was the lieutenant governor of Pennsylvania. I just heard this, and this is... uh, Suspicions confirmed. I knew there was something. Apparently, this guy comes from major league family money, and it kind of makes sense now. It all fits. It all fits. So Fetterman, he was the mayor of a small town in Pennsylvania for like 12 years, and he set up, he like built his own YMCA, although it's not a YMCA. It was like this all-purpose community center, and he lived on top of it. He lived, like, in the attic of this place. And at one point, okay, it seems, okay, that's kind of cool. 
But I was like, wait a second, I, uh, 12 years? You're living in the attic of this uh, uh, makeshift YMCA? Well, who does that exactly? What's going on here? He's six feet five tall. That's fine. Went to, uh, got a graduate degree from Harvard, but he's living, and I'm like, okay, obviously he's got major league um, political ambitions. All right. And this is, you know, what you do. You um, you build a myth, and I think there was some myth-making going on. And that's fine. Politicians do all kinds of things, but now, oh, and then he becomes lieutenant governor, and this made me suspicious. He poses for his official picture as lieutenant governor in a gray work shirt. You know when you go into the post office and you see the picture of the president and they're wearing a suit and tie and you got the American flag in the background, right? Well, <laughs> um, he just wears this crazy work shirt with no tie, and it's like a cheap work shirt. I mean, I'm not wearing a tie right now, but it just – he like went out of his way to wear crummy clothes for this picture. And I'm like, who does that? You know who does it? A rich kid. A rich kid who has the, uh, you know, somehow it's cool. Let's see here. John Fetterman's parents gave him money into his 40s. Republicans say that undercuts his blue-collar image. John Fetterman has acknowledged having a cushy suburban childhood and receiving financial assistance from his parents. Republicans say that undermines his image as a Pennsylvania everyman. Uh, This is from the Inquirer, not the National Inquirer, I believe the Philadelphia Inquirer. In his ads and much of the public imagination, John Fetterman is a tattooed everyman from a rugged steel city outside Pittsburgh. The phrase, blue-collar tough guy, flashes across one of his TV ads as a grim-faced Fetterman poses before billowing smokestacks. A narrator says he's looked different and been different his entire life. That persona has long irked Republicans who say Fetterman's distinctive visual cues leave an impression that he's more working class and more moderate than he really is. Now, as Fetterman campaigns, blah, blah, blah. Okay, where do they they get to the money stuff? Okay, they say his image obscures his roots in a comfortable suburban family that provided his financial security deep into adulthood. Public records show, and Fetterman has openly acknowledged that for a long stretch, lasting well into his 40s, His main source of income came from his parents, who gave him and his family $54,000 in 2015 alone. That was part of the financial support his parents regularly provided when Fetterman's only paying work was $150 a month as the mayor of Braddock, a job he held from his mid-30s until he turned 49. I knew he was a phony. Partway through his tenure in 2013, he moved to an industrial-sized loft he purchased from his sister for $1 after she paid $70,000 for it six years earlier. He's a pretend populist, said Mehmet Oz. Good for you, Dr. Oz. Huh. Fetterman, 52, grew up in his own words in a cushy environment. Uh, Let's see. His upbringing uh, helped him get an MBA from the University of Connecticut, a master's degree from Harvard without taking on student debt. He got his undergraduate degree from Albright College. Yeah, that's exactly what was going on. I'm like, who the hell is this guy living mayor for 15 years? And it pays no money. Now, I, I, that's a good way to appeal like to people, right? Voters, oh, wow, this guy's so committed. Well, a lot of people would do that if they could, but they can't because they need jobs. they got to work. <laughs> ah, I love it. Fetterman, you're in trouble.
Fetterman, you are in big trouble. All right, I got to get all this politics out of my system because we ain't talking politics with Dr. Oz. Okay, I mean, I mean, uh, oh, and with Joel Osteen. No, but Max, and I'm not taking any calls when Joel's on the air here. But Max, you want to say something? You're in Manhattan. What's up? Yes, thank you for taking my call. Um, one thing I find most interesting about uh, Joel coming in here and everyone and filling at Yankee Stadium, this shows to me that New York City is not a blue city. This could be a red city. You know, it's interesting. You're right. Um, you know, folks have this image of, of, of New York being ultra-liberal. But you know and I know that it's not. There are people, you know, I mean, maybe it's 60% liberal. I don't know. I'd like to see what the real numbers are, but uh, no. You're right. Good point. Good point indeed. Um, hey, there are liberals who are believers, but not many of them. The whole liberal ideology, all that woke stuff seems to be chasing God out of the public square. Hey, Max, thank you very much. All right. Now it's official. When we come back, Joel and Victoria Osteen. And uh, we're privileged to have them. Be right back. Kelly, entertaining and informative on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Wow. Here they are, Joel and Victoria Osteen, uh, all the way up from Texas at Lakewood Church, and they're bringing it to New York City this weekend, uh, Saturday, Saturday night at 7. You can see Joel Osteen for Come Home to Hope, a beautiful event. I've been myself. Anyway, Joel and Victoria, welcome back to New York. How are you guys? Hey, great to, ha- great to be with you. Thanks for having us. You know, you are beloved all over the world, but especially here in New York. I think you guys were the first non-sports event at Yankee Stadium. We were back in nine, uh, 2009. Yeah, it was. It was amazing. I got to tour the old stadium before they tore it down, and then we were the first event there in the new one, non-baseball. So it's, it's exciting to be back. Joel, uh, where do we begin? And Victoria, thank you. I mean, gosh, you guys go. Um, how long have you been married now? 35 years. Wow. 35 years. Going strong? Yeah, 35 <laughs> short years. <laughs> yeah. Uh, if anybody hasn't seen uh, The Night of Hope, uh, it's just amazing. It's very much like the TV show on steroids because you're there in person. <laughs> yeah. Folks, if you want to go, please go to joelosteen.com. You can get tickets there or go to ticketmaster.com or you can also go to yankees.com. And this is something you want to do. I've been there, NJ Pack, and I've been at uh, Yankee Stadium. I've seen them both in person. Absolutely beautiful events. Joel, does it ever get old? No, it really doesn't. It's amazing to to be around people, to be able to hopefully inspire or encourage somebody. It feels like, you know, what we were all born to do is to help somebody else. I think there's no greater feeling. So, you know, Greg, we haven't been on the road in three years since the pandemic. And so this is the first time back this Saturday night. And I thought, wow, it's amazing how God works that it happened to be Yankee Stadium. You know, there was a partnership there and we talked a few months back, and they invited us, and I didn't know with all COVID and all everything that's going on if people would come out, but it's going to be full, and so we're just excited, and, you know, it's always, like I said, it's always great to be able to uplift somebody. You know, uh, uplift somebody, and Joel, you've done that so many times. Anytime, it's un- it's impossible to be depressed around you. Yeah. I think you've heard that maybe once or twice, but... Joel, can you talk a little bit about, and Victoria too, running your own race? I heard a, um, a testimony from you. I think you went out for a jog once, yeah. and you tied it into, you know, so many of us are competitive with other people, especially now with social media, 
Can you tell us a little bit about what it means and what you meant by running your own race? Yeah, I think you're right, Greg. With all the comparisons now, it's just easy to feel good about yourself until you see somebody doing better and then you feel depressed and all. But I'll tell you, it's a quick story. I was out. I like to run and I was running like a two mile path around my neighborhood. And at one point there was like a, I had a mile stretch and there was a man in front of me about, you know, two, three hundred yards. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to catch him. I'm going to race him. I thought I need this challenge. So I was racing as fast as I could and trying to catch him. And I was gaining and gaining and gaining little by little. And he didn't know we were racing, but I'm just racing, (laughs) trying to catch him. Well, I finally caught him and I passed him. And when I did, I looked around, I realized I'd missed my turn. My turn was a couple blocks back. And it just, it just hit me as being that that's what we do a lot of times in life. We we're so competitive with somebody else trying to catch them. we, We miss our turn. We're not running, running our own race. Part of it too, Greg, when my father passed, he had pastored Lakewood for 40 years, and then all of a sudden I'm up there, and I think, you know what? i got to be like my dad. Everybody came for my dad. I need to teach like my dad and lead like my dad, but I realized shortly that I'm not my dad. You know, God's made us all individually, and so when I stepped into my own shoes, you know, my gift is more encouragement and inspiration. That's when the the ministry really began to take off, so I think it's just, you know, I think it's it's powerful when you realize that we are all equipped and empowered to do what we're called to do. Like in a, in a, in a better way to say it is nobody can meet, beat you at being you. Nobody can beat me at being Joel Osteen, you know? So when you realize that, that I'm not competing with anybody else, let's be the best that I can be. Can I be better than I was next year? I think that's where, I think that's where their full power comes in. Amazing. I know what you mean. I really do. Some days I'm like, I got to be Tucker tonight. I got to be Tucker Carlson tonight. And I can't think of it that way. If you don't mind, I'd like to play something from your, uh, from one of your events. And I've heard you say it many times. Uh, cut 54, if you don't mind, please. Cut 54. God doesn't want you to live and die. And nobody knew you were here. The way to stand out is, number one, honor God with your life. Stay on that high road. Break away from things that are keeping you from being your very best. You talk about honoring God all the time, and quite frankly, uh, it's very important, but I missed it for a while. Honoring, tell us what that means, honoring God. I think we all know, but it's a very important part of your message. It really is. I believe it's the core of my message, and I call it keeping God first place. You know, I was raised in a religious environment, and so, you know, sometimes I try to, I try to maybe speak a little more where everybody can understand you know, that wasn't raised like me. Honoring God is making decisions that would please him, living a life of integrity, being good to others, uh, you know, forgiving the wrongs, overlooking the offenses, treating people with respect. To me, that's how you honor God. You live a life that uh, would be pleasing to him. Yeah, Victoria, you know, some people say, oh, wait a second, it's, just, it's, it's a pep talk. No, it's not. There's a lot more, and that is such a, an important word, honoring God. Everything Joel just said, a light bulb went off in me, quite frankly. Wait a second. And the Bible, and you got to obey God. you could uh, got to trust Him, but you have to obey Him. And, and honoring God, that word, it's loaded in a good way. Yeah. Fair enough? Oh, absolutely. And, you know, people talk about just positive words or just speaking positive. But we serve a positive God. God is a God that wants to uh, increase us. He wants us to do better. He wants us to give more. He wants us to serve more. He wants us to, you know, be just better to people. And, you know, it's so funny because if you're down and discouraged and defeated and you can't see your way out of of the hole, how can you be that? And so I think that Joel's message 
our message at the ministry is to say God is on your side. He will help you. But yes, you have to honor God. You have to put him first place. You know, God is, is he, we, we work with God. We're partners with God. God's not going to do everything. And we, we can't do everything. So we have to honor him, see where he wants us to go, what he wants us to do. How do we please him? And it's amazing how doors will open for you when you're honoring God and you're not even looking for it. You know, and I think that's where people miss it that, you know, well, I just I have to be, you know, I have to be just totally sacrificing, totally, you know. But God is like, how, how do I want to follow somebody that's just not even doing anything? That's not, you know what I'm saying? Is mm-hmm. is not in is not you know, out there being positive, being, you know, uplifting people. I don't. I want faith is contagious. That's exactly what I'm trying to say. Yeah. When you have faith, when you trust God, I don't know. It's just contagious. You know, you guys are a social people unify. When we find out, oh, do you like Joel Osteen? You like Joel Osteen? It's like a club, but it's a very big club. And sometimes people are more people are more open. And I think this is a good thing. They're more open in talking about a person than about God. So we start, hey, do you like Joel? I like Joel too. You don't necessarily bring up God at work. You know, we're told not to do that. Yeah. But it's okay to talk about Joel. And it's an interesting door to a deeper conversation about God. I hope that makes sense. Yeah, it does. <laughs> I think it does, Greg. I think it does. And, and you know, um, you're exactly right, Greg. We were talking a little bit off camera about, you know, sometimes you, you people don't get it all at once, but I, you know, my thing is we were we were created to be in relationship with our Creator through through Christ, and boy, life goes better when you when you put Him first place, when you depend on Him, and it's not just you know God at Thanksgiving and God at Christmas, and I don't know, there's th- there's something that happens, and that's what I try to rely to people that God wants to be involved in every part of our life and our everyday life, and it just goes better when you. When you know you you have purpose and you're you're helping others. You know, Greg, can I say this real quick? I think one reason that the message resonates so well, if you're looking for God at all, is because Joel truly lives what he speaks. You know, he faces the same challenges and he overcomes them the same way that he is, you know, uh, telling other people to. And I've lived with Joel for 35 years and I've never seen someone who, you know, just spends so much time with God, sets time apart to spend with God, you know, because we can get so busy doing our own thing, thinking we're working for God that we forget to have a relationship with God. And I think that's what Joel is so great at. And I think that's why his message is so powerful, because he spends time with God. And it's so important. Uh, I don't know, you know, a lot of people don't feel like they don't have enough time to spend with God. When I say spend with God, I mean, just take time to pray to just, you know, let him know you're available. Let him know that you're, you know, here, that you seek him, like Joel said, for everything. The big things, the little things, God, I'm dependent on you, you know. And so I think that's really the 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 reason that people see this transparency in him. It's such a gift to all of us. Hey, when you hold up that Bible, and I think it's the very first thing you do. Yeah. Um, the Bible is the bridge. It's so important. I realized, you know, there's so much in there. There's so much in what you're saying and what you're doing. The Bible opened up through you, quite frankly, because I had never read it. I never sat down and read it. Yeah. I never did. I think most people, quite frankly, a lot of people, even people who go to church, yeah. you know, we never really study it. Practically speaking, just for practical purposes, how do you suggest people 
tackle the Bible? Like what? Because it seems insurmountable. Yeah, it, it seems does. so burdensome. Not yeah. burdensome, but no, hard. I know what you mean. Yeah, because there's a lot in there that we don't understand. But I, w- I would say you start in Matthew. Start in the Gospels. It's it's the life of Jesus. I think that's the easy way to start. Maybe read some of the Psalms each day. They're just you know David a lot a lot of David talking to God. So I think you start there. And I I, I always say this, Greg. You know, I don't understand everything in the Scripture, but God will cause you to understand what you're supposed to understand. I think the other thing, too, is, is there are some great translations now, not just—I grew up like with the King James, and it's kind of not our language today, but there's the living translation. There's the message. Well, it's um, it's amazing what you can get out of the out of the Scripture when you just take time to read it. Something will jump out at you, something at the right time in your life. And, uh, you know, God speaks to us through through the Scripture. Is it true that the Bible was designed, you know, by God, by the Holy Spirit? It's, it's complex on purpose, so it keeps us coming back. I've heard this once, and I'd like to verify from the experts <laughs> that it's complex, so we keep going back. It's not like a book you read, okay, got that. It's, it's, it's multifaceted because— he wants us to keep nourishing from that same source. I think that's right, Greg. I think that's right because, you know, like I said, you may read something, you've read it a hundred times, but the time that you need it, something jumps at, out you, at you. You know, it talks about, the scripture says it's alive. And so, yeah, I think it is that. I think that is true. It's kind of like, Greg, when you were talking about, I've heard you say honor God, but it never really resonated with me. It, it never really highlighted in my life. And I think that's what happens when you read the Bible. It depends what you're going through. Depends what's going on in your life or what you may need even the next day, what is highlighted in your life, because God speaks through his word. And even when you're making decisions, you know, you think, well, what, you know, God, do I take this job? Do I don't take this job? Well, there's things that you can uh, see in the Bible, whether it's peace, follow peace. Why are you going to take this job? Why are you going to quit this job? When you start, you know, drilling down and realizing what would honor God, what are my motives you know, what, what do I hope to accomplish? It's amazing how God can use his word to speak to you. Hey, backing up for a moment, like when I, honoring God, yeah, of course I do. Of, yeah, sure, who doesn't? I mean, it sounds like, and then I really thought about it. And at one point, maybe it was at NJ Pack, or I just, wait a second, am, am I really in every facet of my life? And I'm not saying I was doing anything totally crazy, but I was doing plenty of things that the world says you can do. Yeah, you know, channel. You know, uh, what, what is that show that everybody likes? Two and a half men. You know that kind of craziness that you see on TV. And uh, all right, once again, folks, everybody can go see Joel in person. And by the way, if you've seen it on TV, if you've read his books, that's fantastic. But this is this is something else. This is very, very. It's moving. It's powerful. You can go to joelosteen dot com. You can go to ticketmaster dot com. Yankees dot com slash upcoming events. And it's the come. Home to Hope event at Yankee Stadium, 7 o'clock, Saturday night. I sure hope you're going to start with something funny. <laughs> do you do that on the road? I forgot. I do it on the road. I got to, yeah. I'll do something funny. You, you mind wrapping up with something funny? Oh, Greg, what do I have? Uh, okay, I'll do my one. You probably heard it. Okay, so this guy calls the church office, and he says, I want to speak to the head hog at the trough. The secretary was offended. He, he, she said, if you mean the pastor, you're going to have to call him pastor, but you may not call him the head hog at the trough. He, he said, that's fine, but I was going to make a $5,000 donation to the ministry. She said, hang on, Porky just walked in. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I, love I don't it. know. Hey, Joel, real quick, and as a kid, you traveled all over the world, didn't you? I did with my dad. Uh, India. You went to India quite a yeah, bit. a lot. Tell us a little bit about how those travels shaped you. Yeah, I was surprised to hear that. I mean, you were 
you were a man of the world. You were yeah. you were on with your dad and and elsewhere, and I think you still um, with your your bro- your brother who's yes. the ophthalmologist. Yes, yes. Yeah, you're still going um, missionary work, but actually helping people. Tell us a little bit about those efforts, if you don't mind. Yeah, my dad would go over to India once or twice a year, and Victoria would go with us as well for for twenty years while my dad was alive. I think what it what it showed me was my dad had a heart to help people that that were. I'd call them the underdog, and I don't mean everybody in India is the underdog, but there were people there. You know, they're they're living in huts and on the streets and things. But my dad had a real heart to how can we how can we lift them? You know, we we've sometimes all you have to buy is a bicycle for a for a minister over there, fifty dollars. It's not much to us these days, but that would change their life to get a bicycle or get a clean running water. And so, Victoria and I spent those twenty years just seeing the people in need and just you know it just. It does something on the inside to say, you know what, we're blessed to be a blessing. I mean, Greg, practically everybody listening today, in some parts of India, you'd be considered very wealthy because, man, you, you live in America. You've got running water. You've got electricity. So I don't know. I think that helped shape me. And really, it's more than just the trips, but my whole dad, my dad's whole life was always to lift the fallen. Somebody's, somebody's knocking somebody down. They made too many mistakes. There's my dad. He's going over there to, do, to, to help them. And so that's what our... Uh, ministry is about is how do we lift people and you know, really you think about the pandemic it's pushed people down there's been loneliness there's been depression there's been loss and so you know we're calling the event saturday night come come home to hope and it's really man we got to start dreaming again believing again living again hoping again got to get your hopes up to see the good things god has in store we were so blessed this morning to be in the bronx helping uh uh, mothers to be expectant mothers working with world vision and different groups to get them baby formula and so we were able to give a lot of baby formula out. And, you know, there's purpose in that. And I think that's what where we all thrive the best when we find our purpose. And it doesn't necessarily have to be behind a, a, a podium or behind a microphone. There's so many ways that you can just get out there and help people. And it's amazing what will, it will do to you. And it'll turn your situation around. It's really incredible. Well, you guys are incredible, and uh, I'm so privileged to have you here. We'll see you Saturday night, and uh, do me a favor, Joel. Can you still bench 300 pounds? <laughs> In my mind, I can't. I can't physically. No, no, not too long ago, you were benching 300 pounds. I, it was. It was. A, it was a few years back, but I can do 225 a few times, so I'll do all right. Um, all right. Hey, do me a favor. Can you just stick around for one more break? Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Okay. All right. Great. We'll be right back with Joel and Victoria. Thank you. Greg Kelly, Greg Kelly. on the Red Apple Podcast Network. All right. Thank you again, uh, Joel and Victoria Olstein. Uh, the event is Saturday night, yankees.com slash upcoming events, joelosteen.com, yankees.com. Uh, I got a couple of tickets too, by the way, but they're <laughs> spoken for. Um, and you can see Come Home to Hope, 7 o'clock. By the way, if you don't mind, how late does it go? Uh, it's about two and a half hours. Go to about 9.30 or so. Well, it flies by. And you give everybody the opportunity. Um, I know... You can be saved, and there's that special prayer at the end, yes. but you take it up a notch. People can stand up. Can you tell me a little bit about what happens there and what you provide? Yeah, you know, Greg, a lot of people are a little—they're not ready to come to a church yet, but they'll come to a baseball stadium, and they've watched us on television. Maybe they've heard us on the radio, but they've never really taken a stand for their faith. And, and Jesus said, if you're not ashamed of me before people, then I won't be ashamed of you for my Father in heaven. So at the end, I always like to give people an opportunity to recommit their life to Christ, or it's a first time in their faith, but I just ask them to stand. And usually, you know, 80, 90 percent of the congregation, that auditorium will stand. And then I encourage them to get into a good Bible-based church. But just, 
it's a great way to take a stand for your faith. It's an amazing moment, and uh, there is that there is that hesitation. I'm not going to deny. Yeah. I always take advantage of it. I I stand up, and uh, it's it's beautiful. It's somehow cleansing. How is your family? Everybody's great. Our son Jonathan, he's just got married a couple months ago. Beautiful wife, and Alexander, our daughter's here with us. They'll both be here with us at the stadium as well. But everybody's doing great. My mom's great. Family's all good. Um, can I ask you this? You did not set out to become a celebrity. Obviously, it was not. Yeah. You probably never dreamt of it, but here you are, your household name famous. Uh, there are plenty of uh, challenges and great things that come with that. Um, Victoria, how do you guys cope with that? That's That's got to be, I mean, and very few people know what that's like. Well, you know what? I think sometimes we just like have to just keep doing what God's called us to do. You can't get distracted by all the noise out there. We all hear a lot of noise out there, and so... It's just a matter of trying to stay focused, keeping our family together. I mean, we have enough to keep us busy than to try, you know, trying to figure out how to fix other things that are being said or done or whatever. So, you know, I think that we just we just kind of try to keep our heads above the water and just keep loving our family and loving people. Yeah, Greg, I don't give it much. I don't give it any emotional energy. Life's too short. There's always going to be people that don't understand what you're doing or mischaracterize you. I mean, I think anybody that's making a difference deals with that. And even at work, just you don't have to be in front of people. There's always going to be somebody talking or a lot of negative chatter. But my thought is this. You only have so much emotional energy each day. Man, I, I'm, you need your energy to accomplish your dreams, to love your wife, to play with your kids. And I just don't believe in giving any energy to the negative. So I don't read any of it. And I would encourage each of you, don't don't read negative things said about you. Don't don't replay what a coworker said. Just just let it go. Life's too short. This day's a gift from God. Live it in faith. Enjoy it. Use your energy to, to move forward. You know, you talk about that, things that happen at work, things that your boss said. You make yeah. it very real and relatable because— Everybody is going through that stuff, and uh, oh, by the way, uh, yeah, you're 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 famous. But what was it going to? Oh, I remember a while back you said you had some critic, and they came to you. You said, you know, your critic says such and such. Or what do you think of what Joe Blow just said? And you're like, excuse me, but who's Joe Blow? Yeah. <laughs> I didn't even know. I don't write. I don't. I don't know all the theolo- theolo- theologians. I can't even say it. No, I don't, because I don't spend any energy on it. I really don't. Well, it's it's amazing, and actually, to the folks out there, um, I actually found that almost hard to believe, but then I got your light years beyond me, but I got to a point where there was a little bit of uh, public attention, and quite frankly, if I see criticism of me, it's like looking at the weather in Portugal. It makes no difference whatsoever, and Actually, if there is no criticism, I'm like, well, maybe I'm not trying hard enough. I don't know. Yeah. There's something, and it, and what ultimately matters most? What, what? If, if, if I ask you that question, what ultimately matters most? I think full of fulfilling your purpose. Because I mean, my goodness, you look at, you know, I'm a, we're people of faith. Jesus had critics. He got crucified, and he didn't do anything wrong. And so, I think just fulfilling your purpose. Because you can't fulfill your highest potential without critics, without naysayers, without betrayals without rejection. I believe God uses closed doors. And I mean, he, I mean, Judas betrayed Jesus. Well, that's how we got, that's how salvation came about. So I think sometimes we, we fight things that we don't need to fight. We should let it go. We should move forward. And uh, I don't know, again, just not giving any energy to it. Joel Osteen, Victoria Osteen. Uh, Osteen, thank you so much. A privilege to have you guys here in the studio. And we'll 
Everybody should go. Believe me, you should go see him live at Yankee Stadium for Come Home to Hope. Tickets are available. Well, wherever you get tickets, you got to go to Yankees.com, JoelOsteen.com, Ticketmaster.com. 7 o'clock, Saturday night. I will be there. Enjoy. Thank you both very much. Thank you. And see you guys tonight at 10 o'clock on Newsmax.